Hello and welcome to Dinesh Guarda YouTube podcast series powered by citiesabc.com and openbusinesscouncil.org. We are here once again to profile some of the leading thought leaders and personalities in the world that are pushing the boundaries and especially making us think about the present, the past and the future. And especially how we can actually use these ideas, this innovation to make our lives better, but as well to understand better our present and how we can actually better write the narratives of the future. I think we are in a very extreme fascinating times for good and for bad, and these times required a lot of uh, homework, a lot of writing, a lot of reading, and that's why we have today here um, a writer and a researcher that is quite uh, an impressive one in terms of CV, but as well in terms of achievements, but as well in terms of the main ideas and moonshots that they've been taking forward. So um, I welcome to our series, um, Dr. Mark Van Rijman. Um, and I think uh, Mark is quite well known within the technology world, um, is an international keynote speaker and author that is normally thinking and writing about and researching about the future of work and the business organizations of tomorrow. And uh, he's been looking at the, especially in the future of tech strategies, and how emerging technologies can change organizations, society, and uh, increasingly all the different emerging technologies of our times, such as the metaverse, which is the, the focus of his last book, which you're going to be talking today. So the book is Step into the Metaverse, and we're going to be highlighting this. We're going to put links for the book. It's a great book. I suggest everyone to read it. Actually, it's one of the first books written about the metaverse probably ever because we we have i think if you look at the books probably 10 maximum 20 books um i think the subtitle is how the immersive internet will unlock a trillion dollar social economy and i think this speaks for itself and actually as a, a forward by a former partner of mine jamie burke that i think is interesting to read as well so i think in terms of background of mark and i think uh, most of you can actually have a look but he's been advising very big organizations worldwide and international uh, big tech corporations. I think some of the work that is actually working is or is actually leading is working across countries. Like uh, it's been speaking in over 20 countries and collective being uh, speaking in events with over 100,000 managers, directors and special C-level personalities. And he's as well a global speaker, part of the member of the Global Speakers Federation. And as well, he has a social media present that speaks for itself, but as well as the founder of Data Flock, uh, the one-stop source for big data, offering information, insights, and knowledge. And part of his work has been mostly on the research and looking at insights and how to take it forward, which I think it's a key element for all of us that are in technology. And that's what we're going to be talking about this. But I would say just as a couple of other notes, he holds the PhD in management from the University of Technology of Sydney. And research was on our organization should deal with big data analytics, blockchain, and AI. So I'll stop here. You can see his bio attached to this email and as well on the links you're going to be adding. But uh, I'm excited to be here and welcome to our series, Mark. Well, thanks for having me, Denise, and thanks for the, for the awesome introduction. Um, it's great to be here. My pleasure. So, Mark, I want to start by, um, well, the basis. So as a, as a personality of business and as a personality of thinking in the future, uh, where were the things especially that made you who you are now, and especially from uh, your early childhood to your education? So I think I always like to go through this inception and what makes uh, the true profile of each of us. And we have a lot of fantastic stories in the process. 
Well, it's, it's, it's a good a good way to start. And um, I think, you know, I, I, I haven't really have the, the, the standard career. I've just been following the, the passions that I that I that I like. And uh, I actually started um, with, a, with a bachelor in hospitality management. So um, I, uh, I used to work in, in, in the hotel industry. I used to work in the Caribbean. I used to work in Dubai in the Middle East. I was actually part of the uh, the opening team of the first uh, uh, indoor ski resort in in the Middle East, which was a fantastic experience. Um, and that's about uh, 16, 17 years ago. Um, after that, I, I went into um, uh, I did another education, uh, a master of science in marketing management um, at a uh, university in the Netherlands, um, after which I ended up in the financial services industry in the, at the, the bank ING, uh, the headquarters in the Netherlands. Um, I quickly found out that I that the, the corporate business life wasn't really uh, for me, um, and um, I uh, uh, and that was sort of a pivotal moment. About over uh, ten or eleven years ago, I went on a big adventure with a with a friend of mine, um, and we um, cycled around Australia uh, as you do as a Dutchie um, in in hundred days, um, and that was an absolutely amazing uh, and a pivotal uh, pivotal moment for myself uh, in my life. Uh, because once you have done that, once you've gone on such an adventure uh, of cycling uh, over 14,000 kilometers in, in 100 days, um, you don't really want to uh, go back to a corporate job. You don't want to work for, for a boss anymore. So um, when we came back, um, I, I sort of decided to uh, to uh, start my own company. Um, and for the first uh, half a year or so, I, I tried to, a variety of things. Um, I failed miserably in all of them, um, and then um, I had to get back. I had to get back uh, into a, into corporate life, so I had to get a job. Um, I didn't like my job. Um, uh, after half a year, um, I quit my job uh, and gave myself a second chance to to start uh, to become an entrepreneur. Uh, and that's basically when uh, uh, the, my entrepreneurial life, as what I do today, um, started. Um, I uh, launched um, um, uh, Dataflock, which was then called uh, Big Data Startups. Um, I, I came up with the idea on Sunday and my website was live on Monday. Um, and uh, I actually really didn't have at that moment uh, a, a good understanding of what big data was and how it was going to change the world. But I thought, you know, I'm, uh, this is going to be a hot topic and I'm going to teach myself, I'm going to learn um, and I'm going to share that information online. And, and lo and behold, uh, a month and a half later, I was invited as a, as a keynote speaker at a conference as the expert on big data. Um, and I thought, you know, if you can be an expert within a month and a half, you know, something crazy is going on. Um, and um, I went down the rabbit hole um, because I thought, well, this is something that I need to explore. Um, and uh, four months later, um, I um, uh, thought, you know, let's have a look at how, my, how much content I've written. Uh, I figured it out at half, at half a book. Uh, created, uh, sent out a few uh, book proposals to a few publishers, and a couple of weeks later, I had my first signed book contract with an American publisher. So it's sort of really a bit of a roller coaster um, uh, as it started in the beginning. And from there on, I, I really went down the rabbit hole of technology, and I started to find that this is my passion, um, and that I really enjoy uh, thinking about emerging technologies and exploring how these technologies are changing society. So after uh, doing Dataflock about for a couple of years, um, I got the opportunity to do a PhD here in Australia. I currently live in Australia um, uh, at the University of Technology in Sydney, as you mentioned. Um, and um, I, you know, I always wanted to do a PhD, so I thought, you know, let's grab this opportunity. And I, I did my research on uh, initially on big data and design thinking, having written my first book on big data. 
I thought it would be good to do, to do that. Um, and uh, after a couple of months, I came across blockchain and I thought this is such a fundamental technology that is going to change society. I want to incorporate that into my into my PhD. So I, I basically restarted my PhD, um, incorporated blockchain in my in my in my thesis um, as well as AI. Um, and uh, during my PhD, I wrote my second book, which is uh, blockchain uh, called Blockchain, um, and it's all about how blockchain uh, uh, can be used for social good. Um, and I, I wrote that with uh, with a, a colleague from the university, Dr. Philippa Ryan, um, and we created, we, we, the book was really meant to help people understand how we can use blockchain in ways that are beneficial to society. Um, and throughout the past five or seven years, that has, that threat has become more common in my, in my career that I want to focus on how can we now understand technology um, um, and how can we use technology as a force for good, um, uh, as, a, as a force for value creation instead of a, for, a force for, for value extraction? Um, and um, I finished my PhD after, after uh, within three years, um, decided to turn my uh, dissertation into a management book because nobody, nobody reads dissertations because they are generally quite boring. Um, so I turned my dissertation into, a third, into my third book uh, called The Organization of Tomorrow. Uh, moved back to the Netherlands, tried a different startup on, on misinformation, uh, where we could want to use AI to fight misinformation. Unfortunately, that failed. So I can now also proudly say that I have a failed startup under my belt, which I think is, uh, is always good. Um, and um, from there on, I basically um, uh, did my work as a keynote speaker, shared my knowledge, all my insights with organizations around the world. Um, and uh, when I was on a good track record, at least I, I thought so, uh, the pandemic hit um, and both my speaking business and my uh, advertising business went just down the drain, <laughs> as uh, happened for a lot of people. Um, so um, I had to reinvent myself, um, which I did um, because I thought, you know, why don't I practice what I preach? So I, uh, I, I preached digitalization, digital transformation. So I decided to digitally transform myself. Uh, so I came up with the brand, The Digital Speaker, and I digitalized myself. So I made myself available as an avatar, made myself available as a hologram, and started to deliver a keynotes like that, uh, to create a podcast uh, with my avatar, where my avatar covers the, the digital world from inside the digital world. Um, and I've been exploring that ever since. And I think it's a fascinating topic uh, to do so. And uh, about a last year, October 2021, um, Wiley approached me if I wanted to write a book about the metaverse. And that's sort of where everything converged, you know, because the metaverse is metaverse is sort of a convergence of various technologies. Um, and um, yeah, I, I grabbed that opportunity to write a book about this topic. And um, yeah, that's where we are now at the moment. Amazing. And it's, it's wonderful, the innuendos of history. And I think everyone has to go through all these changes to come where we are right now. So I have one question for you, because one of the things that uh, in all your work, and we go to the books uh, before we go to the last one, is that you are very focused on the future, the future of work, how to digital transformation. So let, let's go to your childhood or even teenage years. So uh, when was the, far, the first time that you start looking at the future? Because I think it's one thing that most of people around us, and I'm a futurist in a lot of ways as well, are focused on the present or the past. Um, and very few people have a conscious of looking at facts that can drive a better future or even looking sometimes if you just drown on the news you get completely lost um, and you become really very negative which is a big problem for our society or you get into all the stereotypes that unfortunately we see in most of the countries so when was the first time let's say one moment in your history personal history that made you conscious about the future and, and look at that because i think it's particularly interesting when you look into the metaverse because it's it's present but it's future increasing very good question um 
look, when I when I was a kid, I wanted to become a chef, you know, because I liked uh, I liked cooking, <laughs> and um, um, I, I, I first pursued that career as I as I mentioned, yeah, I went into hospitality, um, and then I, I wasn't really thinking about the, the future at all. I was just living the present, and actually, I think um, um, only when I uh, when I uh, really took my life into my own hands um, um, when I uh, went on to an adventure with with uh, my friend uh, by cycling around Australia I think that sort of really really changed me and then I thought you know I want to take as I said my life into my own hands um, and uh, be in full control over, over my life and that's how I sort of rolled in as I mentioned into the into the world technology before that I wasn't really working in that space you know i worked at, at ing at the, 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 the dutch bank the headquarters um i was part of the uh, among others of, of the marketing department and that was very much more in into the present but when i started to work on my own company and when i started to, to take a deep dive into technology um I, I i i sort of noticed that i um have an interest in in the future i have an interest in digital technology technologies and um i think i have a, i have a, 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 a the talent or the capabilities i don't sure i want to say that uh, of of thinking exponentially um and thinking of you know what does it mean that we have an exponential technology and how that is how is it going to change organizations not 2 years from now but 5 years or 10 years from now because uh, you know generally people are linear thinkers uh, because it's difficult to think in an exponential way and uh, uh, I think it's that sort of happened only about a, a decade decade ago when I started with my own with my own uh, with my own company, um, and you know in my childhood I wanted to become a setter. So so let me ask you one thing here. I will take note on this. So uh, in terms of these stories, is it interesting because in your case it seems like a lot of your work was answering to specific problems and you adapt. And actually, there is opens a lot of different things. So I want to touch, um, and actually ironic, when you look at technology, a lot of things in technology are precisely answering to problems. It's like blockchain came out as a way of looking how we can look at encryption technologies and apply it to a specific case study for virtual money. Um, and in the case of Metaverse, it's a continuation of creating digital twins and all these different things. But I'm interested to go, so let's look at your books, and because you have fantastic books. So one of the first ones was thinker bigger 2014 then you went to blockchain 2018 and then the organization of tomorrow uh, the platform revolution and then the last one step into the metaverse so i would like this is quite interesting because this is really uh, i would say the trajectory of technology because you start really into the first one let's look at the thinker think bigger I think it's particularly interesting and the way you do it is that you always look at the big picture but then you go to a lot of details so I would like to test the thing bigger first because I think we need that more than ever um, and then I want to go to blockchain afterwards <laughs> sounds good so I, I think with with thing bigger um, the objective of, of, of the book was um, helping people understand uh, how is data going to change the world um, and and you know, mind you, this is eight years ago, um, uh, uh, nine years ago that I wrote it, eight years ago that it was published. So the world really looked differently back then. You know, it's it's um, so much has happened in the past eight or nine years. Um, but I I noticed already that back then that um, some companies are, are are really understanding how they can leverage data um, in order to create a better organization. Uh, for themselves, for their employees, and 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 most often also for their for their customers, um, and I think that is a really uh, um, uh, I thought it was really interesting to see and to to learn from and to share that knowledge with others. How 
how you can leverage this. Um, and um, you know, my title thing bigger came from the idea of uh, you know, with data we have so much data at hand back then already, um, and by now it's like ten or twenty times more than we had uh, uh, eight years ago, and I, I guess in the next ten years it will be a hundred times more than we have today. Um, uh, so we really have to think bigger if we want to understand what this means and what all this data means for us and how we can use this data, how we can leverage this data. Uh, we have to have this different perspective um, into uh, into our organization. Um, I always refer to the to the term um, Gestalt shift, which I think is a, is a, a fantastic term, which really uh, explains that you have to take this different perspective. Uh, and it's it's maybe you know this. It's 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 linked to this image where you can either see the duck or you see the rabbit, but you can't see them at, uh, both at once. And the switch that's called the gestalt shift. That's the switch where you see the, either the duck or the rabbit, um, and that means you have a taking a different perspective onto something that you're looking at. Um, and data allows you to do that with your organization. Uh, it allows you to have this different perspective um, and think of okay, how can I use my uh, how can I create an organization that is is, is there for our employees, that's there for our customers, um, and, and then we that's beneficial to everyone. And I think that's so important. And that's what I, the story that I try to write uh, in Think Bigger is 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 one of of how can you use data in ways that are beneficial not only for your organization but also for your employees and for your customers. Um, because that's often, um, I think, forgotten that that people uh, uh, data is, is not, gives you an opportunity to deliver you know, a one of a kind of product for your customers. And I always say that if you take care of your customers, your customers will take care of your shareholders. Um, so your main focus should be on your customers. Yeah, it's it's a key element, and it's, it's really data in the last nine years, like you said, matured to a completely different ball game. So, so let's look at the, then from data to blockchain. It's interesting as well. The, the books kind of map the last 10 years, mostly of technology. So how do you see blockchain, especially at, as we stated now? Because it's particularly interesting because there's, there's multiple different areas. There's corporate blockchain. There's the more radical kind of DeFi, decentralized, and a lot of different areas. Actually, part of your thesis in your book is about if you get a decentralized web or decentralized technology. And then of course, there's another area that is a lot of practical solutions of supply chain that is, it's already going in mainstream. So how do you see these parts and as well in the context of your last book on this area? Yeah, so, so for, for me, um, when I first came across blockchain uh, in 2016, um, it took a bit of time before I really grasped you know, the concept. Because back then, you know, uh, I think the DAO had, had just happened um, and um, I, Figuring out how that actually worked took a bit of time, but once I I, I I grasped it, I thought, well, this is going to fundamentally change our society because all of a sudden blockchain allows us to get rid of the intermediaries, get rid of the of 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 the 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 the, the, the middle middleman uh, that we need in order to ensure trust between two transactions, um, and that's basically what blockchain does. You know, blockchain allows us to to have trust, to have provenance provenance of a product or provenance of data. Um, uh, uh, and we and that brings the transparency that is necessary if we want to do trades with uh, with with people or organizations whom we don't necessarily know. Um, and I think, from a supply chain perspective, uh, uh, blockchain is really is going to be the golden standard. Um, I mean, blockchain will make a supply chain so much more effective and efficient, uh, getting rid of all the paper stack that we uh, use now when we we ship uh, our products around the world. And it's actually quite a miracle that we have. Um, um, a global supply chain, which is so complex. And actually, as we notice with the pandemic, it is so complex and it can easily fall apart. Um, and it takes a long time to restart that. 
So we'll get that. We'll get back to a, to the same st status of the supply global supply chain as we had before the pandemic. But it takes time, and my hope is that blockchain will play an important role there in making this all more effective and, and, and efficient. So from a, 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 a intra organization collaboration, blockchain is, as I said, the golden standard. Now, from a, um, a perspective of, of finance, uh, like, uh, for example, decentralized finance, um, blockchain allows us to share, um, uh, uh, how do you say that, to, 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 to send money uh, uh, from one end of the world to the other. And just actually today, um, I was uh, reading a, a post on LinkedIn uh, where, you know, if you want to send money um, from one end to the world to the other world, the money can sort of last for weeks and it, it can be, uh, it can be, it can bounce and it can cost you uh, a lot of money if it bounces and you get no explanations uh, from the banks whatsoever. Uh, well, with, with, with crypto, which is an application on blockchain, um, I can just, you know, uh, send that, uh, that money around the world in seconds uh, for, for very little cost. And I think that really democratizes um, the access to money. Um, and because, mind you, there are still um, um, uh, billions of people, I think almost 1.2 or 2 billion people, uh, who don't have a bank account, who, who, who cannot have, the, who, who do not have the luxury that we have of a bank account, of money in, in, our, in our account that we can draw on, that we can send around the world. Um, there are billions of people who don't have that. Um, and uh, blockchain and crypto will, will enable that. So then from a DeFi perspective, I think that's sort of the next level where we try to create um, a decentralized financial services, uh, uh, basically a, a copy of all the centralized services that we have, but then without the, the intermediary, without the middleman. So that means mortgages, that means loans, that means maybe uh, you know peer-to-peer -peer lending, it means uh, uh, money, whatever you can think of. And I think that will really help um, also those unbanked to have access to the global economy. Now, to answer your, your point in terms of how this relates to the metaverse, um, I think with the metaverse, um, the fact that we have uh, now blockchain technology, that we have the, have the fact that we have this decentralized infrastructure, it allows us to own our own digital assets. You know, we, uh, this is commonly referred to as non-fungible tokens or NFTs. And um, that is truly revolutionary. Um, you know, um, I'm, I'm not referring to $69 million uh, JPEGs or crazy monkeys uh, that are worth a lot that give you a lot of perks. No, I'm, I'm, I'm referring to the fact that you can prove the ownership of a particular digital asset. And that's mind blowing. Um, and because if you compare that to the physical world, when you're able to prove that you own a physical asset, for example, a house, that house moved from being a place for shelter to something that you can monetize and you can get a, a loan against it, again, a mortgage against it that you can then use to build a business. And the same applies with digital assets. When you can prove ownership, it moves from being a, a JPEG or a, or, or a digital asset to something that you can monetize. Um, so, and I think that is an absolutely crucial component for the metaverse where we have these digital assets that we can monetize. Um, and um, I think that in the coming decade, um, that will open up uh, uh, what's called the imagination age. Um, and the imagination age is a hypothetical age, which was coined, I think, in the 1990s. Um, but it's sort of the idea that AI takes over um, and all is left for humans is being creative, um, and hence the imagination age. And I sort of adapted that a little bit, that you know, the imagination age will allow us to be creative. Um, and with that creativity, we can 
turn it turn those into digital assets and we can monetize that and that will democratize uh, again um, the, uh, the the access to the global economy for for billions of people um, and i think that's the power of blockchain and without without blockchain none of this would have been possible i subscribe completely and it's interesting the way you put it in a Ask a couple of questions there, and I want to then go to your last book. So, so we have right now. Uh, you touch the major kind of trends and actually major directions of blockchain. One of the biggest challenges we're facing right now is kind of uh, the fight between centralized and decentralized systems. And you mentioned correctly the the biggest challenge we have in terms of when it comes to even financial transactions. Uh, first of all, the lack of access to financial inclusion, uh, which is a very basic stuff, but like I said, 1.7 billion people don't have access to that. Um, and the second one is definitely the challenge we have with conventional traditional finance that is working probably increasingly worst. And But at the same time, we have a paradox is that there's more and more money on crypto and trading on DeFi and so forth. We're talking about well, now there's a bit of a crash, but still we're talking about over one, close to $2 trillion being traded in crypto. And ironic, I can pay and send money to you in crypto for the space of a couple of minutes, sometimes seconds. Whereas if in fact we are sending a transfer from my bank to Australia, it will take probably two days. And in fact, the money can be lost. Actually, I've been having a lot of problems with that myself. So, and even in between first world countries, I mean, the UK, you are in Australia, so if I send, I still have a problem between the banks of premium uh, first world. So this is creating a bit of a schizophrenic approach towards kind of creating a parallel finance and a parallel economy. Because of course, that means if you are quite crypto savvy, you can actually bid transaction hundreds of millions of dollars without any government knowing. And that is happening right now. If you look at the exchanges, some of the exchanges are, are trading hundreds of billions of dollars. and they have very small uh, compliance, or even if they have great compliance, not their fault, the governments cannot track things. So how do you see that part particularly? It's more on the financial side, but this includes a lot of questions in terms of work, because let's say, for instance, I'm paying part of some parts of even teams that is easy to pay them in USDT than actually to pay them in US dollars. So it's a big challenge right now. How do you deal with this? And of course, this is going to be increasing more difficult and more challenging with NFTs, with digital worlds like metaverse worlds and so forth. So I want to touch that before we merge to the book. You cover a lot of very, very important topics, Denise. And I think that's, um, um, you know, uh, one of the reasons that I'm uh, a new venture that I'm currently working on, um, uh, which is called the Digital Futures Institute, uh, which is a sort of a research institute focused on ensuring a, a fair digital future for everyone. Uh, because all the problems that you just mentioned don't point into, the, into that direction. Because you're absolutely right. DeFi at the moment is very, very difficult. Um, um, uh, DeFi has a very much UI and UX problem, you know? Um, I think uh, and one of the reasons why it's not very, uh, very much used at the moment, I think early this year, about 5 million people or so were using it, uh, is because of this. And you, you need to be quite tech savvy if you want to understand how to open a wallet how to uh, uh, buy crypto, um, how to get verified on these exchanges, um, how to protect your wallet so that you know you, you, your wallet doesn't get hacked as it happened on Solana a couple of, a couple of days ago. Um, um, so you have to be very, very tech savvy. 
that that is uh, that is a problem. Um, and if um, uh, the objective of blockchain is, and I think should be, to um, you know open up uh, the global economy for you know also the, the, the all those unbanked, but also those non-digital native people, which are still into the billions of people, because also don't forget there's still a couple of billion people who don't have access to the internet at the moment. Um, we need to create a fair digital future. And, and this goes beyond not only DeFi, uh, it's also related to AI, it's also related to, to uh, data collection, data extraction. Um, um, and it, it, it covers a lot more, but I think the problems that you mentioned are real. And we need to have, um, uh, from a DeFi perspective alone, we need to um, really up our game uh, in terms of UX and UI, and it should be as easy as using the DeFi as it is as you use your credit, your credit card online today. Yeah, when when we first had credit cards online uh, um, about 20 years ago, um, everyone was very wary on, on using your credit card online because it might have gone wrong and it was difficult to use. And I remember that my parents, um, you know, they very much didn't like using that uh, at that point of time. Um, um, and, and that's sort of where DeFi is at the moment as well. Uh, and we need to make that shift. We need to make that, that next step, next iteration uh, to make it accessible for everyone. It's the biggest challenge. And I think, like you said, at the beginning of the internet, we had the same challenge precisely. So the, these innovative technologies, sometimes they don't come with the practicalities. And even for instance, for people listening to us, I always like to repeat, for instance, if you look at even Amazon, when they crush massive their stock, they would be a crush as big as crypto right now. So sometimes people forget these things because the stock was kind of like this. Well, I, I want to go back to the book. So I think repeating the book, uh, step into the metaverse, how the immersive internet will unlock a trillion dollar social economy. I think the book highlights uh, a lot of these things. So I want to start with the first question and I will start reading a quote of yours uh, from the forward of the book. I think it's the, from the professor, sorry. Um, so you share, this is your words, my vision for the metaverse, what it can become and how it will become, will change our identity as well as how we play, socialize, shop and work. And if we manage the, to develop the, an open metaverse, the trillions of dollars generated will be shared with all creators and creatives. But beware, there are dangers lurking on the road ahead that we need to think about to avoid making the same mistakes as we did when we building the web 2.0 or the social internet. So I would like to start with a, a bit of a developing of this for people, of course, that didn't read the book. This is what the book is about. But I would like to touch these areas because there's a lot of things here. But as well, I like the way you put it in the three layers, mostly the first layer, of course, the possibilities and how this is shifting our economies. The second part is, of course, how we take it in terms of uh, um, an open metaverse, which is a tricky one because you don't have an open internet. And the first and the first thing, of course, is about uh, how to bring it to nurture creators and creatives, and of course, the, the dangers that come out of this. So if you could elaborate a bit, um, I, I always ask big questions, so feel free to cut the pieces <laughs> and take it the way you want. It's quite open as well. Yeah, well, well sure. Well, it, it's, it's yeah, I think that the, the metaphors is um, a fascinating future. Um, and and uh, mind you, the metaverse doesn't exist yet. It's not there yet. Uh, you know, um, although you could argue that that what we are doing at the moment, um, this interview is sort of part of the metaverse because I am physically in Australia, you're physically in in, in Europe, um, and we are connected digitally with each other and having this conversation. Um, and to me, the metaverse is this convergence of the physical and the digital, where the physical meets into the digital world and the digital meets into the physical world. 
Um, and um, uh, that's far beyond um, uh, uh, virtual, virtual reality. It's far beyond uh, 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 gaming, which, which you sometimes hear people say. Um, it, it also includes augmented reality, but it also includes just the internet that we have today, um, um, et cetera. And for me, the metaverse is therefore um, uh, very much the next iteration of the internet. Um, and, and that's something different than Web3. Um, and that's also, uh, I think, a, an important distinction that we need to make, that the metaverse does not equal Web3. Um, the Web3 is the, the infrastructure on which we build the internet, um, and Web3 means it's a decentralized infrastructure. Um, the current internet is built on Web2 technology, which is centralized technologies, centralized uh, uh, infrastructure. Now, and, and that's where um, uh, my, my, uh, my quest or my, uh, my drive or uh, my approach for an open metaverse comes from. Because as you mentioned, the current internet is anything but open. You know, it's controlled by um, uh, uh, a few very, very big companies who control all our data, who control all our digital lives um, and, have, uh, and are almost all powerful uh, uh, when it comes to uh, um, our, our digital lives. Now, with the metaverse, um, we sort of have this unique opportunity, this one shot, um, uh, this one chance to, to rebuild that, to create a metaverse, to create an internet, which is there for us, for you and me, for us as consumers, um, and not is there for uh, the big tech controlling us. Um, and so my book is, is really meant as a blueprint of how can we create this open metaverse? What do we need to do to achieve that? Um, and uh, we have to be very um, uh, careful when we build the metaverse because don't forget when the internet first arrived, it was very much an open internet. Uh, yeah, when we talk about web one, the early, early days of the internet, um, it was very difficult to, to, to build a website. So you, you had to host your own data, you had to host your own website, you had full control over all this. Um, um, and um, it was very much in our own control. But because it was so difficult, we had centralized companies uh, standing up um, and, and being created who made it very, very easy for us. And that caused this explosion of, of, of economic growth um, and, and innovation. Um, but at the same time, you know, people um, sort of got used to this, this, these ease of services, which are all free of charge. Uh, but we all know that if something is free, it means that you are the product. Um, and uh, we sort of, you know, we're sort of sleepwalking into a world where um, uh, it's either state surveillance or it's, it's corporate surveillance. But it's not that we are in control of our own digital lives. Um, and so with an open metaverse, I think we should try to reverse that. We should try to, we have the technologies now uh, available, uh, such as blockchain technology, um, uh, to, to take back this control from the big tech, from even states, um, um, and have full control over how we want to, to build our own lives. So that we have control over our digital identity, we have control over our digital assets, and we have control over, over our own data. And I think that is that's really important, because if we do that, then we are able to create this trillions of dollars of economic growth, which do not end up in the hands of, a, of, of, of a few big tech companies, but they can end up in the hands of everyone in society. Um, and that will really have a big impact, I think, on, on, on the global economic growth. So for me, you know, and I always mention that um, uh, an open metaverse is absolutely no guarantee. You know, um, it's very well possible that we will build the metaverse on Web 2 technology. We don't need Web 3 technology to build the metaverse. We need Web 3 technology to build an open metaverse. Um, and I think that is very, very important to be aware of, because if we 
don't pay attention um, uh, while building the metaverse, we might end up in a worse situation than we are today, uh, where, um, uh, as we can see from the the, the well-known examples, Ready Player One um, or Snow Crash, um, the metaverse is owned by a tiny elite who have full control over our, over our own lives. And that's something um, that I'm very passionate about that we should avoid at all times. Um, we should create a metaverse for you and me. So let me ask you a, a practical question. So you touch um, before that we still have a challenge, for instance, with even just opening an NFT wallet. And of course, right now, when you talk about metaverse, uh, and I like to, that you separate um, metaverse from web 3.0. So let's look at definitions. And, and I think that let's start first with definitions. And my question is, how can we make that? Because the challenge is that in the end of the day, if you have initiative, you want to own your initiative, you want to own your IP. And normally a group is created by people that have strong initiative and they normally own IP. So that's the principles of capitalism. But the challenge is that if you own that IP, and I think that's the challenge probably the web 3. or the web 2.0 is that the IP is actually not owned by the creators, but by organizations that gather this IP, take the data and resell it. So, so let's go to definitions first. Uh, how do you define web 3.0 more in detail for people listening to us and the metaverse? Because it's really, I think of course, the definitions are open, of course it's not closed, but I think it's important to, to look at this. I completely agree with you. And um, you know, for my book, I interviewed 100 people. In-depth interviews, I had another 150 surveys, and I got 250 different definitions of what the metaverse is. So it sort of explains already how difficult this and how abstract this concept is. So for me, Web3 refers to the infrastructure, the, the, the hardware on which we build the internet. Um, and um, uh, in Web3 technologies refer to distributed uh, ledger technologies, blockchain technologies that enable that. Um, and yeah, a blockchain, again, um, is just a, a, a database, but instead of read, write, and edit, it's read and write, uh, which gives you uh, the, the, the verification, uh, the transfer, sorry, the, the, uh, the possibility to verify your data and to have full control over that of how it's being used and to uh, not make sure that it's not being changed and tampered with. Um, and that is um, 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 uh, Web3 technologies. So it's how we store our data, how we distribute our data, and how we access our data. Um, the metaverse is what we build, what we can build on top of that. It's basically the applications, the internet. So the internet is built, um, it's the immersive internet that we allow, that, that we use to access all this data. And we can access it through virtual reality, we can access it through augmented reality, we can access it through a desktop, a tablet, or a mobile phone, a watch, or whatever future uh, devices we'll have uh, coming up. And um, so then we, when we go to the metaverse, as I mentioned earlier, for me, it's the convergence of the physical and the digital uh, realities where the physical meets into the digital world, which basically means uh, um, uh, we bring, for example, uh, 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 digital twins into a virtual uh, virtual reality or into a desktop and we can interact with them um, through a digital uh, realm. Uh, or it is um, uh, even also just a virtual reality a game where we can explore what's happening uh, um, uh, and have, have, have some fun. Um, and at the same time, when we talk about augmented reality, it's where we bring the digital into the physical world. And this can be, again, for entertainment, we can have, I don't know, a flying dragon above Times Square, which is uh, uh, nice to, to have a look at. Um, or it can be a way to, to interact with the smart city where we can see the overlay of what's happening within the city. 
Um, and that's the augmented reality. And I personally think that augmented reality is much bigger, much more important than virtual reality because we have near, we can build near infinite layers or lenses, I call them uh, in the book, on top of the uh, uh, physical reality for us to interact with. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised that, um, you know, if this technology advances far enough, uh, 10 years from now, we don't need a phone anymore. We don't need a laptop anymore. Uh, we don't need a tablet anymore. All we need is some very, very advanced uh, smart glasses or even smart contact lenses uh, for us to interact with the internet. Um, and that's that's where we're heading. Um, and again, you know, for that interaction, for, that, for the immersive internet, we don't need Web3. I think we should want it, but we don't need it. Um, and I think that's very, very important to be aware of because otherwise uh, people think that it will just happen by itself and it won't happen by itself. It will require hard work because as, as we mentioned, you know, um, DeFi at the moment is very, very difficult. So if we want the entire world to use it, we need to make it easy as, 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 a, as a community. Otherwise we'll have, again, just centralized tools which are easy to use and people will flock to that. So that's some sort of uh, my distinction here. No, I, I subscribe uh, actually to most of your ideas. Actually, it's, it, I completely am with you. So, so your chapter two touched a bit of a step ahead. Um, so you, you you talk about creating an open metaverse, open versus closed, the hybrid web, and an open economic system. I think this is the, probably the biggest challenge of our times because, of course. We have, okay, geopolitics, you mentioned that, and uh, we had COVID, now we have um, a war that is still a bit paradox world, and we have a lot of geopolitical issues right now, but you cannot really stop this, okay? That's that's the interesting thing that you just touched, but, but you have a very specific part on this chapter two that I think it's important to, first of all, for people being aware, because I think most of the people are still discovering what is metaverse. So we have, I think probably you and me are a bit ahead of the time, but I think for people listening to us, even the most sophisticated, they have a lot of prejudice. And uh, if you talk the metaverse, like you said, from augmented reality, I think people understand it. If you talk from NFTs, people don't understand it. But I would like to hear your vision from uh, the open metaverse and the open versus closed. And now we can actually make this not another dystopian crazy technology because this can go very wrong. And I have some questions about that, but we'll take it afterwards. Absolutely. This this can go very wrong indeed. And I, I dedicated an entire chapter uh, to that of, of all the things, how it can go wrong. Um, and... Um, you know, as I, as I mentioned before, I think what is important for an open metaverse is that we have this um, uh, control of our own data, control of our own digital assets, and control of our own identity. And in order to achieve that, um, we need not only be able to have control of the data, but also to move it around to wherever we want it to go. And, and that interoperability um, is currently not possible. Um, if I want to um, take my Facebook data and move it and, and download all my all my photos, all my feed, all my followers, and move it to another platform, that's simply not possible. If I want to send uh, uh, you a WhatsApp message and you don't have WhatsApp but you have Telegram, that's also not possible. Now the European Union is working on changing that with their new uh, new legislation, uh, but it's very very difficult to achieve that. Uh, However, we do know the benefits of, of having this interoperability because with email, it is possible. I can send you an email from my Gmail account to let's say you have Yahoo or Hotmail or whatever, um, and that works perfectly fine. Um, so, um, and it shows the, the massive benefits that this interoperability brings. So 
if we want to achieve an open metaverse, we need uh, interoperability. Um, I think that's absolutely crucial so that we um, uh, uh, can take our data uh, or uh, and our assets from one platform, from one game, from one environment to the other. Um, and, and so that's one. So we also need to have decentralization. We need to have this control. Um, and that's where blockchain comes into play. Um, because without blockchain, we can't control our own data because it's still, without blockchain, it still resides in a centralized database. And if it's a centralized database, the, that person or that entity who owns that centralized da database can do with it whatever they want. So a blockchain is an absolute requirement um, if we want to do this. Um, then we also need persistency. So we need to be able for the metaverse to be persistent, which basically, again, is linked to, to, uh, to decentralization, is that if I create, I don't know, a, um, a virtual house on, on, a, on a virtual uh, plot of land, I want that to be there um, tomorrow when I go back. You know, I don't want uh, some centralized entity to think, oh, I don't like this house and I'm going to delete it. Just like in a physical world, when you come home from work, you would like your house to be still there and not that someone decided to demolish it because they didn't like you know, the way it looked. Um, so that's also what we need for, 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 uh, uh, for the metaverse. Uh, we also need spatiality. So we also need to be able to find what we are looking for in the metaverse. Because at the moment, mind you, there is no Google in the metaverse. If you want to find a particular asset in the on the immersive internet it's impossible to do you cannot find uh, uh go somewhere and search find me uh, asset xyz um, and take me there with the click of the button that just doesn't work uh, so we need to have the spatiality so we can find what we're looking for across all these metaverse experiences um i think what also is very important with the open metaverse is it's very much community driven so it's very much, and that's, this is where um, uh, the centralized autonomous organizations come into play, where you have a community coming together um, to use you know, decentralized technology to, to solve a problem or to create uh, some kind of innovation um, or, or to create value. And then the final uh, component of, or final characteristic of an open metaverse is um, a self-sovereignty, self-sovereign identity and self-sovereign reputation. And those the last one is often forgotten. Um, and Self-sovereign identity means, again, that you have full control over your own identity um, and not someone can delete um, your account. And an example I use in the book, uh, which to me is still still mind blown, uh, um, is that you know, one, a couple of days after Zuckerberg announced Meta, um, uh, there's this Australian artist who had the handle Metaverse on Instagram. And like one or two days after Zuckerberg announced Meta, her entire account 10 years of history, all her artwork was deleted with the click of a button. And she was not able to connect with, Insta with, with Instagram to figure out what had happened and to reinstate her account. Only after a couple of weeks when she reached out, I think, to the New York Times and the New York Times reached out to Facebook, they said, oh, we're so sorry, this happened by accident. Well, we of course all know that it didn't happen by accident. Um, and I think that is crucial to, um, uh, uh, to prevent from happening in uh, in the metaverse, because if we are moving all our value, all our digital lives to the metaverse, we don't want someone to just delete it because they don't like your brand or because they want your brand name or, or whatsoever. Um, and um, self-sovereignty is, is therefore very, very important. And it means you have you know, um, um, your, your, your identity is, is, is protected, so it can't be deleted. It's, uh, it's private, it's about you. It's persistent. It, it cannot be, um, uh, uh, you know, it, it remains online unless you delete it. It's portable. You can take it from one way to another. Um, and I think th those are sort of crucial elements when we talk to self-sovereignty of how you want to create an open metaverse. Now, 
all these characteristics are very difficult technical and cultural challenges in itself. Because, you know, again, referring to the DeFi problem that we have, uh, all of them require people to change behavior. Um, and, and when it comes to changing behavior, technology is the easy problem. Um, and um, I think that is sort of um, uh, the challenge that we have here. How are we going to achieve this? How are we going to build this open metaverse? Uh, um, um, knowing that the technology is a hard problem, but it's still the easy problem. It's a very, very good point. And I think it's really important to look at this. Of course, it's very difficult because governance is, is difficult. Even in a small startup, having everyone to agree is difficult in the family. So imagine all these things. And of course, doing this with code, you mentioned DAO, it's a quite challenging part. So I want to touch one thing that is that you touch partly, um, well, you touch a lot of different areas, but I think I want to touch one area that is on the bridge of what you discuss here. So especially uh, that's the part of the, the creativity part of the of uh, the way you're going to look at the uh, metaverse and the creative industries, the influencers or even researchers like us, how we look at this and how we can actually make this work. Because of course, the challenge right now is that um, from Twitter where, or YouTube where we're making this interview and then the distribution across the internet, the challenge is that these platforms are giving is of course, fantastic technology. And they have, of course, fantastic returns, but of course they have a lot of costs as well. But they depend on, let's say, I would say pro probably 1% of the internet creates the internet and makes the, the content that everyone um, uses in one way or the other. The other probably 10% distributed and the 90% just gets it. Um, so if you look at this and how we can actually look at these tools and revolutionize or at least evolve these tools to make it more I would say sustainable or at least scalable because the challenge right now is definitely that unless you are very tech savvy because you need to be tech savvy like you said to create a, an nft wallet to promote as well you need a huge marketing capacity which most of people don't have it and then you have to have the network people like me and you have a huge network you interview one of the people to your book there's a lot of efforts to do that there's a lot of network even to get one of the people to have their time um, most of the people don't have this and they just want to come to the metaverse or to these platforms to um, just get some game, play some time. And probably most of them don't think about it. I would say 99%. So how can we really get this, first of all, the creative economy and the gig economy to be better rewarded in a way that is not dystopian? And secondly, how can I actually make it in platform? And you touched part of that, but I would like more on the creative economy and the gig economy. Yeah, so I think... When we look at from um, um, the creator economy, and you know, um, as I mentioned just before, you know this imagination age that we we can we can end up in, and and I, for me, that is a very um, 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 yeah good utopian future to 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 look forward to, where we have you know where creativity, whatever this that means, is being rewarded, and you as the creator are being rewarded for the work that you put into. Um, and um, yeah, again, when a couple of a couple of months ago, uh, Meta announced that they were allowing creators to share their and sell their products on their platform, and then take only fifty percent of the revenue, and they think that it's that's a very reasonable amount uh, uh, to take from the creator. I think that's just mind blowing. Um, you know, um, to to take something from some from some half of that money, um, I think that just doesn't make sense to me. So um, um, 
And I think the, the, the challenge here is that we, um, that we currently live in a situation in an economy where uh, value extraction is commonly accepted, uh, where you know, these large platforms, they, they extract the value from us and they make the most money out of this. Well, we should move to a system of value creation where if you create content, if you uh, uh, put an effort to something, you are being rewarded for that content. Um, and to, to do that, to achieve that, we need to change our thinking. We need to have this gestalt shift, this different perspective of how we look at what the internet is and how we look at um, what it means to create a particular asset. And that's where I think um, NFTs are so important because they allow us to do that. And they allow us to, to, to have a different perspective um, and start to monetize the whatever we create in ways that we want. Now, of course, in everything that we do, um, uh, also in a, in a decentralized open metaverse, um, it's still hard work, you know? Um, it's difficult to, uh, um, uh, to, to create your own following. It's difficult to create, to build a community. Um, it's difficult to, um, to, to market yourself and to create a brand. Um, that's difficult today, um, and that will be difficult tomorrow. Um, and it requires hard work, persistency, uh, a focus, discipline, um, you know, um, um, uh, flexibility to change whenever uh, um, the world changes again. But that is all, will always be hard. Um, but I think it's 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 still the the advantage is that um, in hopefully tomorrow's version of the internet, which is hopefully an open version, um, at least those efforts are fully rewarded to you. Um, and um, um, instead of uh, handing over uh, 50 or 60 or 70 percent of, of of the money that you make, you only hand over 10 or 15 percent. You know, and there's nothing wrong with handing money over to a platform that helps you uh, reach a larger audience. You know, um, um, to me, there's nothing wrong with that, but it should be within within norms. Um, and, and I think that's sort of the difference that we that we're talking about. So I think. Um, in order to achieve all that, again, that requires a, a different perspective. It requires that that we, um, you know, um, as, as as shareholders uh, of, of big companies, also say to each other, okay, we don't need a twenty x return. We don't, you know, I've been reading um, a lot of noise, so a lot of a lot of news about you know unicorns versus zebras, uh, where your know, unicorns are like 10, 20 x return and zebras are like you know, 2x return, but a lot more uh, return for society in, in general. And I think that's a very, very good direction to go, you know, where, you know, there's, there's no, for me, there's no need to have, I don't know, 100 billion on your bank account, you know, uh, 100 million is more than enough. Um, and um, um, I think from a shareholder model to a stakeholder model, um, I think this open metaverse can contribute to that. And, and then we can have this imagination age. Um, and then if we have the tools to, to, to be able to easily create content, but remain in control over your content, um, um, I think that's where, where we want to go to. Uh, but that's hard. It's difficult to achieve that. Definitely. And it's going to be increasingly more difficult. But at the same time, the 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 wonderful things here is the tools are becoming faster as well to let's say if you look at the beginning of the internet like you said before and i like the the parallel you did it was much more difficult to get things now it's much faster so the uix velocity goes faster than it would take years now it takes probably months sometimes weeks so um of course we can go here for two hours i think this will be the first one of the interviews we passed already one hour so i have a couple more questions related with the book and i think with the topics that you mentioned we touched the creative economy so let's talk about the the enterprise uh, part of this. And you touch a couple of areas, like for instance, creating a search for the metaverse, 
creating as well an interoperability between all the different metaverse because at the moment what we have is mostly a couple platforms that have some kind of metaverse features but not really an universe that you can say metaverse so first of all how this can actually work because for instance i'm actually working on technology metaverse and for instance, you can use it for real estate you can use it for um fashion and you can use it for a lot of different things so i would like to see especially and you as well being an advisor to a lot of companies and as well probably from the one companies you did what would be the most interesting case studies because i think it's always easy to look at case studies when it comes to enterprise usage of the metaverse for me i think the, the most important use case for the enterprise metaverse is digital twins by far um, um in fact i actually think that digital twins are sort of tier one of the metaverse tier zero being the physical reality um and then if if you know digital, digital twins are tier one um then the standards and protocols are tier tier two um uh, so we need the standards and protocols in order to you know have this interoperability um and then tier three are the all the applications all the lenses that we can build on top of that and um, uh, from an enterprise perspective um, um if we look at the future of work or the metaverse the, the future of work um is you know what, what I uh, uh, count as the future of work is, you know, uh, data decentralization and automation, or in other words, data, blockchain, and AI, um, uh, is really changing changing um, uh, what we do, changing the, the, the type of work that we do. Uh, uh, well, the metaverse, among others, using digital twins, but also using VR and AR, is changing how we do that. Um, and I think that's a, that's a big and important uh, differentiator. So if we have digital twins, and this digital twin is basically a, a digital replica of a physical asset, and this physical asset can be um, uh, uh, something from a, a car, um, it can be um, um, a system of systems, so it can be um, um, a plane where we have different systems that are all interconnect and we all have a digital replica of, this, of themselves. Um, um, it can be a, an entire factory, it can be a supply chain, um, as long as it's a digital replica of a physical um, a system. And we can then interact with that system in a virtual way. Um, and this can either be interaction using virtual reality so that we put on a virtual reality headset and we can, can change the, um, uh, the robot or we can, we can control the, the car um, and any changes that we do in the virtual world are reflected in the physical world. Um, or we can use augmented reality that we, let's say we need to um, uh, fix a certain machine. Uh, we put on the AR glasses and the AR glass tells us exactly, you know, uh, which which bolt to, to, to screw, which wire to cut and, and how to fix or, or repair uh, that, that particular machine without really needing uh, the, the training to do so. So I think digital twins enable that. And there are a lot of examples of companies who use digital twins already in order to collaborate, um, to collaborate across borders. Um, and one example of a company that I think is, is, is doing really, really well in this is, is the car, car manufacturing company Volvo. So they use um, uh, digital twins to create the car, to design the car without even using clay models, but to design the car in, in a virtual environment with the designers who are dispersed around the world and they can create the car. Now, if they have created the car, and they have actually built the car. Uh, they then go onto the road with the car, but they use uh, an, a mixed reality device um, to change the car while they're driving on the physical road. So they have a, a, a they have a, a digital dashboard in front of them with a physical while driving the physical car, and they can change the dashboard while driving um, to see to optimize it for um, um, uh, for the best conditions. 
I think that's those are fantastic examples of using digital twins in your in your uh, in your systems in your in your processes within your organization. And um, you know, of course, the, the the more advanced you go here, and the further you, you uh, the further you embrace digital twins and, and embed them in your organization, the more possibilities you can you can get, and the faster you can change your organization. So I think digital twins are by far um, the most important use case um, for for the enterprise metaverse. I think this is great examples. Thank you so much. And I think I like that you put it very practical. And for people listening to us, please research. There's a lot of case studies, a lot of things. What is important is working on that. So let's look at the, the elephant in the room, I would say, or more than multiple elephants in the room. So look at the, your chapter eight that is about the, the dangers of the, of the metaverse. And uh, you have, for instance, uh, the privacy as an illusion, abuse, harassment, and illegal content, um, imposter avatars inequality, bad bots controlling the web. So there's a lot of things here that I think are really key. Um, of course, one, one point here, we can actually use uh, a blockchain certification to avoid some of these things. But, but of course, uh, depends a lot of the concept of an open or closed metaverse and how we're going to do that. So I will pass the word to you. I think this is quite an important point. And for people listening to us, Please, you need to be conscious about this because it's, it's in the end of the day is like people that still illusion about data privacy or data uh, ownership. There's no data ownership unless you are in a in a global uh, internet connect uh, web for good and for bad. So I would like yeah. to test this from your holistic perspective. Um, you're absolutely right, Denise. And uh, yeah, I think that there are definite dangers lurking in in the metaverse. You know, and uh, you know, I'm a big fan of the metaverse but we should be realistic you know and we should be realistic that the technology is neutral in the end you know it can be used for good it can be used for bad and 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 where people use it for good there are always people who use it for bad and the same thing is happening um in the metaverse and uh, i think the examples that you, you mentioned that i described in the book sort of sh show um, how big a challenge we have here because um, um, if you think that 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 we as consumers create a lot of data today that's nothing that will be that we, we will create one, two, three, five, or ten years from now. Um, just to give you an example, um, um, if you have a virtual reality headset, um, that headset um, uh, not only tracks what you're doing in the virtual world, but most of them have cameras on the front and they track your room. Um, they track um, uh, um, what's in your room. They track how big your room is. They track who is in your room. Um, and they also, have, if they have sensors for your hands, they track. If you have potentially a tremor in your hand that could indicate a disease that you don't know. Um, if you have um, eye tracking in your device, it tracks where you're looking at, how long you're looking at it, whether your eyes are watery or not, or whether your eyes are diluted or not. Um, all kinds of all data points that reveal so much about you, about what you think is important, what your preferences about, you know, and some of these preferences that we might not even consciously be aware of. Um, so uh, we have to be really careful about this um, and at the same time we already see that you know a, a lot of abuse a lot of harassment is happening um, and the, the challenge with um, uh, virtual reality in this case is that if if the virtual reality is done in such a way where the latency is good and the graphics are, are, are at a certain standard then our brains cannot make the difference between physical and digital so um, a person who is harassed or, or sexually groped in the metaverse to that person, that sound that feels like a physical experience. It's terrible. Uh, so we need to prevent that. Um, 
I think personally, I think one of the biggest problems in the in, in, in uh, the biggest elephants in the room is the problem of, of imposter avatars. Um, and um, because uh, in the metaverse, avatars will be the username of, of the future. You know, it will be, you will use it for everything and, ev and, 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 and everywhere, in every game and environment and everything. Um, and, you know, I mentioned earlier uh, in our conversation, Star, that I have a digital avatar and I use that when the pandemic hit that to, 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 to use that for, for keynotes. Um, now I'm currently working on the meta-human. You know, one of the technologies have become really easy relatively to use is meta-human where you can create a hyper-realistic copy of yourself. And I'm currently working on what I think is really pretty cool, um, uh, sort of a, a voice, sorry, 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 a video chatbot, uh, which is basically a digital twin of myself where you can talk to me um, where my AI answers a question like me with my voice and it looks like me. I think that's cool. Uh, it's a great experiment. Um, there are a lot of ethical dilemmas attached to that, um, and I like doing that to um, to explore those. Um, but it's it's not far away that these digital twins will become sort of commonplace in the world. Now, um, if I can create a digital twin of myself, um, you, Dennis, can create a digital twin of me as well, uh, because there are plenty of pictures of me online. Um, that you have my audio now, and there's plenty of audio of me uh, online. So you can be me. Um, and people are generally gullible. So if they think they see me, they hear me, um, um, then they think it is me. Now, for me, you know, that would be annoying if that would happen, but it wouldn't be a global disaster. But if you know, um, a, a, a CEO of a large company um, um, has a deep fake um, uh, or a world leader, we have a much bigger problem. Um, and we already have seen these problems with, you know, terrible audio or with terrible uh, uh, um, you know, sort of analog deepfakes. Um, but when we have this hyper-realistic rea uh, reality, digital reality, where we can't distinct anywhere between what's fit, what is real and what's not real, um, we are in for 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 some, some something scary. Now, there are ways around that. Um, we can um, connect that avatar to an NFT. Um, and if that NFT is then is, is, is soul bound um, and it's um, so I can't trade it and it's, it's linked to my wallet, um, then, you know, if I can prove that, then, then it's me. But as we know by now, wallets can be hacked. Um, so my computer can be hacked. So um, you can pretend to you know, have access to that NFT and then still to be me. So we can, again, we can create a work, work around there that we, that we link it to my, my biometrics. We can link it to my heart rhythm. We uh, link it to my, to my motion. We can link it to my iris. Uh, we can link it to whatever you know, biometrics you can think of. Uh, but then what do we do with the data? Where is this data being stored? Is this being stored by um, a company like Meta? I wouldn't want that. Um, um, so yeah, there are all kinds of challenges here that we need to solve. Um, and we really need to think about these, these issues really, really hard. Um, and now, um, and not like what we did with Web2, that we, you know, everyone enjoyed free social media, free email, um, you know, all these free services. And before we knew it, we were the product. So, um, uh, and, you know, there, I think the, the, the estimations are that by 2025, the amount of the cost of global data breaches will be 10 trillion US dollars per year. Just to think it in again a little bit, ten trillion dollars per year in data breaches uh, because of all the data that's being created, um, um, all the, the lack of security and data privacy uh, uh, measures in place. Um, this is a really big problem. 
Um, and um, yeah, we have to um, think very, very carefully about this, um, how we're going about this. Um, and um, yeah, in my book, I describe three possible streams of how to, 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 to solve this verification, um, education and, and regulation. Verification, I just mentioned a bit of like, you know, using, uh, uh, verifying that we are dealing with the right person, verifying that we, that we, that the system works correctly. Um, uh, education, that we educate the people, that we help people understand, you know, become metaverse natives, you know. Um, uh, I have a two and a half year old daughter. Um, I want her to be aware of how to deal with this technology uh, when she grows older. Um, who is going to teach her that? Is it going to be the primary school? Probably not, because you know they are. Uh, uh, education is still in a very old, you know, old paradigm. Um, is it going to be uh, the, the the parents? Often not, because the parents also don't have an idea. Is it going to be the government? Definitely not, because the government almost never has has a clue here. So you know, it's it's that 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 so education is crucial. Uh, but also very difficult. And then the final part is regulation. And the problem with regulation, as I just mentioned, you know, regulation is often late. Um, it's often um, uh, outdated by the time it's it's, it's implemented. Um, and it's often uh, uh, takes the, the wrong approach. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but regulation is necessary um, if we want to outlaw some of the problems that we already see happening with, you know, with crypto, with NFTs, uh, regu regulation is very, very much, much, much necessary. So, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's not a, a happy story um, um this but i wanted to include it in the book because i think it's important to tell the whole story of what the metaverse will bring us um and yeah there are definitely dangers that we need to uh, find solutions for i think you you put it uh, fantastically i i completely am with you and i think uh, like you said technology is neutral is one of the things you have here is what to do with it um so i want to thank you mark i think there's a lot of things i think i want to do a take two today there's a lot of things for digest for people listening to <laughs> us um um and i really want to do a take two probably more in terms of the the idea of the the problems and the solutions and probably alive with different people so um i think just to repeat to people i really suggest for you to buy the book or at least engage as much as possible mark has is very generous with his content uh he's on twitter and social media linkedin step into the metaverse everyone should step into the metaverse if you don't step you will be as well someone will step you in um but that we can actually make this uh to unlock a trillion dollars economy but as well to make it open or at least more empowering for all of us mark it's been a, an honor to have you here and very inspiring and very practical as well i like the the approach of the book that is very technical but it goes always with a very clear solution and very detailed into the topics, into the different things, because there's a couple of books I'm reading and this is a, definitely a fantastic book. So oh, thank you. Uh, everyone will put all the links, Mark, to all the things. Thank you, Mark. And uh, thank you for your time. Yeah.